Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me today is, as always, Dr. Jonathan Pritchett. Mm-hmm. And smack in the middle, virtually between us, who I am virtually looking at, although I'm actually looking at Pritchett, right. is Michael Jones of Inspiring Philosophy. Welcome to the show. You have no cheering sound effect. Oh, I could do a cheering. There yeah, we there we go. <laughs> All right, so uh, a couple of days ago, Pritchett runs into my office and he says, man, Michael Jones is really upsetting some people with this stuff about Christian nationalism. No, what I said was, is Michael Jones versus the Christian nationalists is the best thing on Twitter right now. And it was (laughs) it was great. And so (laughs) I was like, "Okay, well, let me take a look at that. And then I never did. And then yesterday, Jones uh, messages me and says, hey. Do you want to do a show about this? Well, I never say no to Jones. Um, so yeah, he here we are. Yeah, I, remember, I thought Jonathan mentioned that. And I'm like, you know, it might be good to go on and just talk about this and deal instead of just getting into endless Twitter fights with these people that have very limited understanding of history, sociology, and these types of things and why Christian nationalism is antithetical to the gospel all around in so many ways. Right on. So uh, how should we get into this, guys? First of all, let me tell anyone that was willing, please go ahead and subscribe to us. IP has been on here quite a bit. He might be on here and you might not see it any other way than if you're already subscribed to this channel. That alone is a great reason to subscribe, but also because we try to uh, to cover what we think is important to help people know how to uh, confront what is false in the world and in the world of worldview discussions. So uh, you can check us out at patreon.com slash Trinity radio. Also, if you'd like to, if you're interested in theological education, you can find us at Trinity S E M that's Trinity sem.edu. Um, all right. So Michael, here we are. The last time we here, we're here with you. I think we were talking about Muslims who are arguing for, uh, child brides. Um, how should we, how should we open up this by defining Christian? Yeah. And yes, because define it because I want everyone to know, uh, I'm sitting here, I'm going to listen to what's being said. I'm going to assess it. This is not something that I know as much about as you. So I'm yours to convince. Uh, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of Christians out there on Twitter and right now in the chat who are, who seem very grumpy about this and are saying, look, what IP Hell is right. arguing for is mere liberalism. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, what do we mean? Because it's not monolithic. It sounds like. What do we mean when we say Christian nationalism? Well, first, let's start with the basics here. I'm I'm not a liberal. I hate that term. That term is defined by ever. That term what a liberal means whatever <laughs> the individual wants it to mean. The way the Catholic Church is condemned and defined it is different than how most people in America use the term, and everyone in America uses it differently. Uh, when someone calls themselves a classical liberal, it's often different than what someone means by a liberal today. Someone could be a liberal politically, but not de- identify as a liberal as their entire worldview. It's such a ridiculous term, so I reject the label. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Christian nationalism, I want to say on the outset, I'm sympathetic to why people gravitate towards that. It sounds like a good idea on the surface. And then when you get into the weeds, you realize this is pure evil and antithetical to the gospel. So like... A lot of people are gravitating towards it because they see secularism rising. They're worried about secular values being thrust upon us from people in power and they want to combat it. But as like, you know, Neil Shenby says, like there's a problem that sometimes 
people on the right just sort of gravitate towards anything that would own the libs or anything that would just, they think would help advance their tribalistic side. And we can't do that. We need to call out evil on our side as much as we call out the evil of secularism. Uh, so Christian nationalism is the worst way to go. It's essentially taking the tactics of the left, of the communists, of people on the far left, and then just trying to do it on the right, which I'll get into and explain. And I'll make the case by using Thomas Sowell's book, A Conflict of Visions. Basically, if you understand Sowell's philosophy here, Christian nationalists are using leftist tactics, common what he refers to mostly as the unconstrained vision, because most leftist ideologies use that vision, some right do. Uh, you understand that what Christian nationalists are doing is using basically that unconstrained vision tactic just on the right, and it will create the same problems that we've seen far left uh, ideologies like communism or, you know, like uh, socialism lead to. But let's start by defining Christian nationalism. And I'll use Andrew Whitehead's definition. He's a sociologist. He says, Christian nationalism combines a number of elements. The first element is a strong moral traditionalism based on creating and sustaining social hierarchies. Often these revolve around gender and sexuality. The second element is a comfort with authoritarian social control. The world is a chaotic place and at times society needs strong rules and rulers to make use of violence or at least the threat of violence to maintain order. The final element is a desire for strict boundaries around national identity, civil participa participation and social belonging that falls along ethno-racial lines. A Christian na nation is generally understood to be one where white, natural-born citizens are held are held up as the ideal with everyone else coming after. And then he goes on to say, Christian nationalism is fundamentally concerned with wielding power for the benefit of one's own group. It is focused on defending our rights, practices, history, and privileges. Americans who embrace Christian nationalism to varying degrees consistently emphasize how others, those on the outside, are trying to take away their cultural and political power. It doesn't matter whether the threat is real. It is the perception of loss that matters most. So that's generally what Christian nationalism is. It's about taking this idea that Christianity needs to be in the business of preserving a national identity. It's essential to Christianity that we need to preserve our national identity, our national heritage. And you'll see people like Nick Fuentes saying that we need to preserve European white culture at all costs. The government needs to be in the business of preserving a specific culture preserving a specific way of life and a specific religion religion. And for any typical American that knows our history of going back to 1776, that should make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. This just sounds antithetical to American values as well as to Christian values. So there's a Michael, lot of you listed you, you listed something toward the beginning of that that had to do with our understanding of <laughs> like someone who wants this their understanding of sexuality or something. Uh, and I, I'm, what were you saying there about that? Is this basically just describing the the traditional uh, family setup and sort of national, you know, cr the sort of Christian evangelical yeah. or or broadly? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Right. yeah. Now the difference is is that you, we can you and I can basically be like, yeah, we are not in favor of Christians living LGBTQ lifestyles, but I don't think the government needs to come in and tell people they can't. Do those have those kind of lifestyles i think when we get authoritarian figures involved that's a recipe for social disaster it only takes one generation to go from someone like king david to king solomon who oppresses his people secedes land of the phoenicians basically oppresses the northern kingdoms and 
brings all sorts of idol worship in, has, what, 700 concubines. It only takes one generation for the prince or the ruler to just become morally corrupt. You know, same thing with Constantine and Julian the Apostate. Anyone yes. gravitating toward authoritarian ideas should be very wary. So this is more than just saying we want America to be a Christian nation because there's a bunch of Christians who founded it and we want to serve the Lord and we want to promote Christian values and we want to go reach the nation for the... See, that's the Christian nationalism that really is just, okay, you're just describing basic Christianity that people believe for, you know, 2,000 years. Yeah. This is deeper than that. This is basically government actually establishing a religion, working to promote and privilege that religion above all others, uh, which means less religious freedom for everybody. Yeah. Um, and then you you enforce it by at the point of a gun because it's, it's authoritarian, it's status. Uh, yeah. Then you get into demanding the law reflect a set of Christian morals, but which Christians get to pick, you know, you're going to have some legalist, pharisaical type Christians versus other Christians who may not agree with, with how far that, that certain things, I mean, are the teetotaler Baptists going to be bringing back prohibition? Uh, what, so <laughs> I've never really heard answers to my questions about that, but it, it does sound like another Geneva 2.0 from Calvin's era. And to me, it just kind of sounds, it, it, it's definitely another authoritarian statist position, which I reject on, you know, at face value because i'm i don't like authoritarianism or statism really uh so so i i don't i don't know what's a, supposed to be appealing about well this. maybe maybe this question will help uh to to mm -hmm. flesh some of this out if the government are christians and the population are christians and want these laws are they wrong so let's say that we we genuinely our evangelism practices just i mean there was a revival that swept across maybe maybe the Maybe the Asbury revival had just kept going and swept across America in such a way that the vast majority of people are at least professing some kind of Christianity. Like the orthodox. first two Great Awakenings that we've had yeah, that so, sort of thing, but so, never still established a national religion or Christian right. But so, th so here's the question: What if what if this is what the people wanted and and they voted accordingly? Uh, what would you say in response to that sort of thing, Michael? So the first thing I would say is. I don't see it practically as a problem if you have like a nation that's like 99% Christian or 90% Christian even doing that kind of things. However, practically how that's going to play out is they wouldn't need to actually implement the laws because the people would just be doing it by themselves. So like if you have a nation or a society that's like 95% Christian and it's very, Holy. very low like adultery, you don't need a law against adultery because the people just aren't going to do it. Take the principles we get in Galatians 5 when Paul says, do you have the fruit of the Spirit? Against such things there is no law. What is he saying? Well, he's building on Aristotle because that's a quote from Aristotle, against such things there is no law. He's saying, look, if you have people that are virtuous, that already have the fruit of the Spirit, they don't need laws to police them. So why are you implementing laws? It's, 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 it's pointless at that point. If all the people are currently Christian and doing these things, you don't need the government to go around and sort of stop it or enforce like adultery laws or blasphemy laws. That's the ideal state for Christians, I believe, that we get to the point where people are so sanctified. We don't need governments. Governments are there as a necessary evil to prevent us from basically killing each other, stealing from each other, uh, harming each other's <sighs> children uh, through moral you know, moral corruption, these kinds of things. Well, the, um, actually, well as, you know, right like there, that was stuff. a... 
that was a point of contention that I saw you get into with some Christian nationalists on Twitter because they were trying to make the argument that, um, well, all legislation legislates morality, and that's actually false. What what, what, what the rule of law does, uh, even though it can intersect with morality, what it does is, or at least ideally, legislation should work to preserve rights and relegate or, or, or regulate your privileges. You know, ensure rights and regulate yep. your privileges. That's what that's right. what legislation is to do. Now, does morality in, intersect with that? Sure, but but yeah. it's immoral to kill people. But the reason that that we govern against it legislatively is is to ensure your right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and somebody else killing you violates your right. So it's you're not technically legislating morality just because morality intersects with legislation so people kind of get that confused but i just wanted to point that out for those who who were following along with the dialogue that we're because when they want to say well all legislation legislates morality no all legislation yeah. can intersect with it but that's not what it's doing it's it's preserve should be preserving your rights and regulating your privileges and the government cannot make society more moral it just simply can't if we outlawed uh homosexual acts tomorrow okay it's not going to stop people are still going to be doing it it's not going to make people more open to becoming christian it's not going to reduce homosexuality people are still going to do it and you're probably going to have a civil war on your hands so you're going to have bloodshed to deal with government doesn't actually help look at uh prohibition all it basically resulted was is the end of prohibition and people were killed because the government was lacing poison with was lacing alcohol with poison to try to prevent it it didn't actually reach its goals. What gets people to be more moral is religious changes, the work of the church, people working and discipling each other. It's not laws coming down. Let me give you an example. Let's say a city, like a small town in like Indiana decided they were Christian nationalists and they were gonna start legislating laws. So they outlawed bikinis, no more bikinis. We don't want people to be tempted. Well, the first generation is going to follow that because they think it's the right thing to do. The second generation that comes along is going to follow that rule because it's the rule, not because they think it's the right thing to do, but because it's the law. So it redirects people's moral motivations away from it being the right thing to, I don't want to go to jail. The third generation is going to start to question that because they're so divorced from the moral implications at that point. Christianity should be in the business of making people more moral, more sanctified, not in enforcing our will on others through laws, just so we feel more comfortable. And that's what Christian nationalism is about. It's taking what Christianity is supposed to do, making disciples of all nations, into us making <clears throat> laws to sort of try to force people to be disciples. And that but will I, never Pete, work. I think uh, I've heard, uh, like, I think one of these Christian nationalists would be somebody, a provocateur like Milo Yiannopoulos, right? And he, is that is that right? First of all, do you guys know? I, I, anyway, I think he would say things like, um, Look, America provides far too many freedoms for a people who do not have uh, uh, the Christian system to uh, keep them motivated because of the internal work of the Holy Spirit or something like that. In other words, it's too free for a non-religious people. Now that, of course, is extremely offensive. Is that, have you heard that said? Is that, how would you respond to something like that? Again, then why didn't Jesus set that up that way? Hmm. Like, like Jesus basically said, I'm king. I have the whole world. By the way, I have legions of angels that could come down and protect me if I want, Peter. I don't need your sword. 
And then he basically goes away, sends the Holy Spirit and says, go make disciples, freely offer them the gospel, and I'm still king. Look, if Jesus doesn't need brown shirts. He doesn't need us to enforce his will on people who have rejected him. If he wanted that, he could do that in a blink of an eye without us, without us, without our involvement. If he is king, do what the king commanded. Go make disciples. Don't try to do use Jesus as your mascot to make yourself king, because that's all Christian nationalism is really doing. Yeah, it's kind of uh, turn those plowshares into some swords and go enforce Christianity, at, you know, at the point of a gun. I don't, I don't see that as what Jesus commanded his disciples to do at all. Uh, I don't think that, you know, just because you you oppose Christian nationalism means that you oppose Christian influence in government, that you oppose Christians being involved in politics. None of that's true. America has been a non-Christian nationalist nation and had that for centuries. It's fine for people of it. So to be against Christian nationalism is not to say you're against Christians being involved in the government, Christians being active in politics, uh, Christians engaging in activism uh, for political causes. Christians can do all of that. The thing is, is should Christianity in uh, be the national religion that is imposed on uh, the citizenry. And there was an interesting comment that I saw mentioned, you know, post-millennialism bad and is as bad as Christian national. Somebody made that comment. And I just want to say, I'm not a post-millennialist, but IP you are. And what's funny Mm -hmm. is a lot of the Christian nationalists are, but, uh, is it fair to say that Christian nationalists seem to want to help Jesus out more than Jesus asked them to, as far as post-millennialism is concerned? Exactly. It's very much what they're trying to do. And again, if that was the plan from the beginning, that's what Jesus would have done. Christian nationalists say Jesus is king, but they don't mean it. They like Jesus, but they don't respect him as king because they're not doing what he commanded. And they're doing things that are going to slow the gospel down. that are not going to help get the gospel spread by being forced upon people through laws. Like when, uh, for example, Charlemagne, uh, the emperor Charlemagne of France was expanding into German territories. He was forcing people to convert. In comes Alcuin, who is a monk, and said, you can't force these people to convert because they need to freely accept the gospel. And so here you have Charlemagne trying to do what he thinks Jesus wants, and the religious expert comes in and goes, no, that's not what Jesus wants. You cannot make people more Christian by forcing them. And Christian nationalism is trying to do that just a little bit more subtle than Charlemagne, just by establishing this one type of religion that is going to be enforced by the government. Uh, upon the land. You don't have to accept it, but the government's going to be in the business of preserving this as best it can. And historically, we have seen that lead to social disaster in places like Europe where they did do that kind of thing, where they established certain religions. Like in Germany for the longest time, if you if you identified as like Lutheran or Catholic, by law, the government would take a tithe out of your paycheck and give it to the church. And that did not create better, stronger Christians in Europe. It led to more it actually, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, church and state has, uh, you know, the Reformation itself was pretty bloody. And when the church and the state uh, are intertwined and various religious factions are competing, I mean, uh, since the Reformation, I mean, I was growing up, you can remember the, the problems with the Catholic Protestant wars in Ireland in the early 90s still carrying on for centuries, you know, it's. It's like this stuff never ends, and so why would we want to invite more of that? Because what you would have then is you would have competing Christian factions trying to fight over uh, 
you know, the, the crown to, to determine what Christian ideas and Christian sects we're going to have to impose and which ones we're not. And they're going to, I mean, I don't see that as much better as Republicans and Democrats fighting. So I want us to get back to this comment that's currently on the screen that we haven't read yet. But real quick, I just want to get this. Michael says, brothers, I say this respectfully. You're way off on Christian nationalism. You need to have a legitimate advocate of it to debate this as you're just way off here. Well, put I realize there's a limit to how much you can put into a text, but IP's right here. If you want to represent it or point something out that you think would be helpful then point it out. You know, someone mentioned, uh, well, the guys that they're mentioning, they're, they're, they're mentioning them because they're the examples of kind of the bad guys uh, like like Fuentes and, and Ianopoulos. Uh, or, the, the, or Stephen Wolf or some of his followers. I, yeah, I have no doubt. They, I have they no post stuff doubt. about that. I don't think we're misrepresenting. Yeah, anything. I have no doubt that there's a little bit of a spread within Christian nationalism. So uh, make those comments. That's per, we're, we're perfectly fine with that. Now, back to this. Uh, not sure this isn't directly related, but is IP an ultra libertarian who thinks marriages aren't the government's business? Because if not, the government is by necessity redefining marriage with so-called same-sex marriage. Well, first off, there's a lot of uh, complexity here. For one thing, um, God defines marriage, not the government. I, at the end of the day, I don't really care what the government says. I care what God says. So let's get that clear. Second of all, Am I an ultra libertarian? It depends on what you're in. So if you understand political theory, you know that in political theory, there's ideal theory and non-ideal theory. Ideal theory is about, this goes back to John Rawls, by the way. Ideal theory is this idea that we sort of like create the ideal system. We sort of, if we could have start over from scratch with like blank slates, we wanted to build the perfect society. What would that look like? Non-ideal theory is more focused on how do we implement political processes over time to eventually get us to more of a utopian type world or a better world at that. In terms of non-ideal theory, no, I don't think right now the government can be out of the business of marriage. It's just too complicated with tax issues, with uh, uh, incentives, these kinds of things. It just cannot work. In non-ideal theory, yes, I'm absolutely for it not being in that type of business, but we just can't simply get there in that regard. So we needed to distinguish between people's ideal political state and people's actual practical way they want to implement certain things. Uh, Christian nationalism, in my view, spends far too much time doing ideal theory and not enough doing non-ideal theory, which is far more important for obvious reasons because we live in a non-ideal world. So you often see Christian nationalists talking about their ideal Christian national state. We would not let too many immigrants in. We would preserve white European culture and a specific type of Christianity. You know, we would make sure that you know Europeans are always the majority in the country and you think about how that would practically play out in non-ideal theory it would lead to genocide it would lead to a bloodbath civil war these kinds of things uh it would lead to disenfranchising uh, lots of people that have a right to prosper have a right to pursuit of happiness property life these kinds of things and so that's one of my biggest problems with christian nationalism it spends far too much in ideal theory it doesn't do a much in non-ideal theory, like one of my term papers when I was getting my master's was arguing that ideal theory is practically useless for the most part, other than maybe specifying values. So I remember writing this term paper and when Christian nationalism came up, that term paper immediately came back to my head. because I'm thinking they're all just doing, this is just like playing risk, the like board game. They're doing way too much ideal theory and not enough non-ideal theory. All right, uh, here's a question. Uh, well, actually, 
Has anyone from Timcast reached out to you, IP? Because as you know, <laughs> we have pushed no. the IP on Timcast and IP on Rogan uh, monikers all over the place. No, no one has uh, reached out to me yet, unfortunately. Yet, I, I appreciate everyone still trying, but nothing yet. I mean, makes me they can contact me on Twitter. They can contact me through my website. Nothing so far. It almost makes me think that Rogan and Tim don't watch Trinity Radio, but I don't, I, I don't know. All right, Tim <laughs> the Ancient. One, uh, gamer. Another Tim the Ancient. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was from the gamer guy. Yeah. Christians need to realize that laws are documents with guns behind them, and they should ask themselves if the people targeted by a law need to be in a cage because of what they are doing. All right. Thank yeah. You for that and comment. so, well, yeah, let's, that's, so Christians need to realize that the laws and doc, that laws are documents with guns behind them and they should, should ask themselves. So, I mean, we have to be very careful with authoritarian power and what it could do. So yeah. Stephen Wolf in his book, I mean, he talks about the need for a Christian prince to sort of rise up and like lead the Christian nation. And he says the Christian prince is having the highest office on earth, office on earth. The good prince resembles God to the people. Indeed, he is the closest image of God on earth. The divine presence in the prince speaks to his role beyond civil administration through him as the mediator of divine role. The prince brings God near to the people. The prince is a sort of national God, not in the sense of being divine himself or in materially transcending common humanity or as an object of prayer or spiritual worship or as a means of salvi salvific grace, but as the mediator of divine role for this nation and as one who with divinely granted power to direct them in their national completeness. Like that's, that's just, that's just scream 1776 there. This is just basically the divine right of Kings returning the idea that there's going to be some special individual that can sort of lead the nation to be better than the rest. And he should be of this sort of uh, higher status than the rest of us. And like, I think it was, um, I forget who said it, but where are you going to find these angels to govern society? This is very much a socialist communist idea that the reason society is so bad is because the right, the wrong people are running it. If we just got the right people in charge, then we'd have a new utopia. We'd have a new man. We could start over and we have the right societal institutions that would make humanity better. This is basically just that on the right. It's like somehow there's going to be some exemplary human being who can be a Christian prince and rise above his depravity as a human and really just sort of be this divine ruler. It's just utter nonsense. There are no people like that. This is why democracy, democratic ideas, constitutional republics uh, perform so much better. And there's research to show this because when you get these people in power, they're going to seek their own uh, wealth. They're going to seek their own power, their own glory, and they're going to use whatever tools they can because that's just how people naturally are, unfortunately. Um, well, how about this challenge? Where does freedom of speech, religion, and equality come from? If you don't believe in where they came from, why would we expect them to uphold those values? They came from the Bible. Read Tom Holland's book, Dominion. Uh, Samuel Moyne's book, uh, Christian Human Rights, read the book, um, Christianity and Human Rights in Introduction. To quote uh, from chapter nine, this chapter demonstrates in part that there was ample liberty before liberalism and that there were many human rights in place before there were modern democratic revolutions fought in their name. They further illustrate that Christianity produced several important human rights ideas, even when they often defied those ideas in practice. The reason why we have freedom of uh, like things like equality, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, 
a freedom of expression is because this got, this stuff came out of Christianity. Uh, there's a chapter in this book where they demonstrate that liberal thinkers uh, were borrowing from people like John, like like uh, John Calvin, Martin Luther, uh, even some Catholic thinkers as well, and Orthodox thinkers. There's an entire chapter devoted to orthodoxy and how it helped to spread and grow human rights. These kinds of things. So, where are you getting this stuff from? It's from Christianity. Read Robert Woodbury's paper, "The Missionary Roots of Liberal Democracy." The reason why there's so much democracy today, so many uh, values that we associate with liberalism, is because missionaries kept spreading them everywhere. That all this stuff comes from basically Christianity taking over the world in an ethical and cultural framework. This is the central thesis of Tom Holland's book Dominion: that Christianity has saturated the culture. The reason why we believe in equality, freedom, liberty, these kinds of things is because we're getting all this from our Christian heritage. So we're not in favor of authoritarian figures. Christianity actually leads away from this. Roland to Salem ran a modern OLS model and demonstrated this, that from Protestant and Catholic nations, you get values like citizen empowerment, political transformation, more non-governmental organizations, uh, less authoritarianism. So like, I don't know what these people are talking about. All this stuff came from Christianity. This is the irony of Christian nationalism. It has sowed the seeds of its own destruction because they're going to keep promoting this authoritarian idea, but within it, they have Christianity, which will slowly erode that away because it leads to dem democracy and liberty and these kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, it never, you know, you can read uh, differently uh, from people who, different takes on Romans 12, 13, things like that. Um, as far as God ordaining government for certain things, the, the, the government that God ordained was the family, right? Um, that was that was the earliest form of government. If you look at um, the history of Israel, when God was talking to Samuel, and they, you know, Israel is begging for a king, right? Because they wanted to be like all the other nations. <laughs> yes. What was God's opinion on that? He was like, "Don't do this. You're going to be taxed. You're going to be abusive." And like every king, but Hezekiah, Josiah, and David were pretty much garbage. God's opinion was, "Do not do this. Do not be like the other. Do not." Have. And this was after the, the you know, the the time of the judges, where Israel would fall into idolatry. God would raise up a judge to bail them out, and then they, everything would be fine until they fell into idolatry and covenant breaking again. The and then God would raise up. It was a whole pattern, and of course, everyone mistakes gets it wrong when it says uh and every there was no king in israel and everyone did was right in their own right. eyes that right. that that's not a negative assessment. no that could be a good thing if 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 you're right. doing right by your own eyes yeah. doing what god wants. when they did right they were blessed when they yeah. did wrong they, they they got into a lot of trouble until god well, raised up a judge to bail them out so even after all of that chaos that you read the book of judges one of the most gruesome books in the bible by the way god still said don't do this <laughs> don't don't go for this this uh this uh monarchist government form uh, in your land don't do it uh well, but he went ahead let them have what they wanted and they got what they want read kings and chronicles they were not fans of most of the kings well not only that jonathan he says in first samuel 8 that they want a king because they're rejecting me they're yeah. rejecting me as king but notice what god does he still uses the line of david this monarchy to bring about the messiah who is god because jesus is god the second person of the trinity so Jesus said, so Jesus says in first Samuel eight, you're rejecting me as king. I'll let you have a king. But then he uses that, that monarchy to again, 
make himself king. And then what does he do? Does he roll like the kings of Israel? No, he goes back to heaven and says, I'm king, go make disciples. And he sort of just makes it kind of in a lot of ways the way it was before, where it's but, not going to have this this army but, of pressing people going out and right. forcing his role. But it's for the Christian nationalists, but the Christian nationalists say, we don't want Jesus as our king. We need this prince person down here, you know, this popish type figure for, for national identity. <laughs> so it's, it's like the same, it's like the same problem all over again, right? Yes, absolutely. They're rejecting Jesus as king because they want to find their own prince around here to stand up for. It just makes no sense to me. Real quick, IP, uh, has, have you interacted with or looked into Wolf's book, The Case for Christian Nationalism? So I have a copy. I've read parts of it, and I'm going to go back and read the rest of it because when I was reading it a few months ago, I just like I almost threw it against the wall because I was just so disgusted by some of it. Uh, but I can read some parts of it. I really had problems with. I wrote some quotes down. He says on page, I believe it's 150. He says it is evident from from both instinct and reason that we ought to prefer our own nation and countrymen over others. This instinct is not from the fall or due to sin. It is natural and therefore good. Oh my gosh, I wanted to pull my hair out when I read this. First of all, that's a naturalistic fallacy. Just because something is natural, it's not therefore good. And mm. it is not evident from reason that we ought to prefer our own nation and countrymen over others. Have you read the Bible? Like Mark Mark 3, he, uh, no, when Jesus' mother and brothers come, he says, no, no, my disciples are my real family. So yeah, preferring others yeah. over your own family. First Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people from my own possession. Okay, you're not these other nations, you're mine. Galatians 2, he, Paul scolds Peter for holding to his Jewish identity and not his Christian identity. If Christian nationalism is true, he should be saying, yeah, you got both, that's fine, it's normal. Then you also have Colossians 3.11, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Galatians 3 also says the same thing. And then you also have one of my favorites, I think it's in Philippians. He says, your citizenship is in heaven. Now that's an important verse because Philippi was sort of established because Rome was getting too populated. So they sort of established this other city so Romans could go live there, but they were still counted as Roman citizens. So their citizenship was in Rome, even though they were living in a distant foreign, foreign land. Paul uses that analogy to say your citizenship is in heaven. You may be living in these foreign nations right now, Christians, but you know you are actually a citizen of heaven. We're not citizens in Christianity of other nations or ethnic divides. We are all citizens of one kingdom, one king. All these other nations are temporary and will pass away. Read Augustine's work, A City, yeah, of, city, a city of, God. of God. Yeah, You know, he was responding to pagans saying like, oh, this is Christianity's fault. The Roman Empire is going away. And he says, no. These are temporary institutions. What matters is the one kingdom of God, Christ's kingdom. That's what we're in the business of protecting and preserving. And it and won't fall. Them. And it won't fall uh, because it doesn't have borders. It doesn't have a particular color exactly. or language. It's if you stamp Christianity out in one place, it'll spring up tenfold somewhere else. That's why for all of the cheering uh, in certain communities over the more secularizing effects that's happening in America right now and people walking away from the church, yeah, but we've got Christians in other places like China, and they're, and it's growing very quickly. So, uh, but yeah, after eight hundred years of uninterrupted power, Rome falls, and here we have. Oh, we should have. We should have never. It's because we embraced Christianity. No, all man-made cities fall, not the city of yeah. God. 
Uh, let me ask you this real quick. Uh, Brando says, how then do we change the culture to be more Christian? I hear many people say spread the gospel alone just isn't enough. Now, before you answer that IP, I just want to <laughs> encourage people to check out the last video on the videos tab of the, of our YouTube channel here. And you'll see where yesterday I interviewed uh, a kid who was arrested at a uh, drag queen story hour after reading the Bible through an amplification device. Super interesting discussion. And uh, while we're talking about political type stuff as it may come up, then that's something that might interest you. But go ahead and answer this for us, IP. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say they're, they're just wrong. The gospel has always been enough. I mean, Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient and your weakness, uh, my strength is revealed. The gospel is always enough. I, I don't understand this. And when you try to add to the gospel or help God, God along, it will be defeated. Let me just let me just use some research now to, sh to show this. So there's a couple of papers. One is called Borders That Divide Education and Religion in Ghana and Togo Since Colonial Times. Another uh, is called Christian Missionaries in Education in Former African Colonies, How Competition Mattered. And so what they note is that in Africa, when missionaries will go in, uh, if the Protestants and the Catholics had to compete with each other for converts, they ended up not only getting more converts, but they ended up building better schools. They ended up building better hospitals, providing better services to the people, making the people more educated. When certain European governments said, uh-uh, no, Protestants aren't allowed in this area, only the Catholics, they didn't do as well. The, they, were, they were protected by the state and people got lazy. They got relaxed. They didn't really focus on spreading the gospel. When the government got out of the way, missionaries thrived because they had to, they had to work on their, what the tools they had available. They couldn't just you know, go get help from daddy government when they needed it. The Protestants were coming in and taking too much effort or vice versa. So the gospel is enough. And when we focus on actually converting people and winning more souls, it works. When we try to co-opt the government to help us, it actually slows progress down. And that's actually backed by research at this point. So yes, the gospel is more than enough. We just need to recognize that it actually is and stop pretending it isn't. Um, you know, the, here's another angle, and I, I try to get comments from various different people, but there are a few people who are kind of voicing some of the principal concerns that might come up. Can the same thing be said about, say, black culture in Africa, or is this just for the evil white man, LOL? No, I'm against all sorts of nationalism, black nationalism, white nationalism, Chinese nationalism. That These are not our goals. Our goals are the city of God. What, I mean, here's, let me give an analogy. I'm a Pittsburgher. Pittsburghers, for the longest time, had a very unique culture because we had, didn't have a lot of outside influence because we had a thriving coal mining and steelworking industry in there. And then that sort of started to erode. So I sort of watched this progression through my teen years of like, you know, like growing up, we didn't have a Chick-fil-A there until I was about 17 or 18. We had Eaton Park and Kings and just these local Pittsburgh joints. So like, you started to see that culture slowly start to erode away. And yeah, I'm a little sad, but I'm not going to build my entire identity on preserving that. My identity is built on Christ and spreading his kingdom. I don't really care if Pittsburgher culture dies or not. Will I be a little sad by it? Yeah, but I mean, it's meant to go away eventually because eventually we're all supposed to become king citizens of the kingdom. Uh, when we say that we want to preserve a specific culture and that in Christianity needs to be in the business of that, as Stephen Wolf argues, that's a recipe for social disaster because we're no longer focusing on 
spreading the gospel, being servants to, for, to all mankind. We're focused on, we found something we like, we found a certain culture we like, and that's our idol. We need to preserve it as much as we possibly can, regardless of what Jesus really wants. Let me give it another analogy. If you go, if you're a missionary, were to go into a rural village somewhere and saw a hundred people, they're pagans, they don't wear any clothes, and your initial instinct is not, I need to serve these people, I need to try to convince them Christianity is true, I need to do everything I can to set up, uh, to establish God's kingdom here, and then move on to the next village. If that's not your, is that what you think, and your, what you think is actually they're, these people are offending God. I need to get power over them so that I can force them to wear clothes that I want, force them to go to church on Sundays, force them to respect Christ and not worship these idols. Your real idol is power. Your idol is not Christ. Your idol is power. And that's the same kind of mentality a lot of Christian nationalists have. I don't want to change the culture through converting people through discipleship the way Christ commanded. I need to seek political power. I need to seek power in uh, entertainment or in uh, politics somehow, and then force my values to be the established way of living. What is your real idol there? It's power. It's not Christ because Christ said we need to become the least of the earth. We need to serve everyone as we possibly can. It's not about gaining power. It's about giving up power. As John the Baptist said, he must increase as I decrease. I want to point out to some of the Christian nationalists in our chat who keep saying that you're probably burning a bunch of straw men or whatever. This is the, this is exact. This is funny how they're all behaving like progressive Christians. Because anytime you start attacking a, what some Christian nationalists say, well, that's not my Christian nationalist. I've never said that. I don't, same <laughs> well, thing with progressive Christian. Progressive Christians yeah. and well, leftists are the same way. I mean, wh wh what? They, I was going to point playbook. out that someone someone brought up the question of would I think Brando brought up the question of well, what, what do you feel this way also about other uh, ethnicities and other yeah. places? And uh, then somebody else says, well, who's bringing all this ethnicity stuff in here? Well, you know, and so we'll get to that one in a minute. Yeah, For example, but it's like progressive Christianity. The second you started responding to some progressive Christians, other well, that's not us. We don't ever say that you're attacking a straw man. We don't believe in all that stuff. Well, it, it might be a straw man of your particular position, but there are several positions in the chat right now, maybe. Aaron yeah. S. says, there are tons of uh, Christian nationalist Calvinists like Doug Wilson that reject all the racial components of Christian nationalism. So it's not fair to assume that that is part of it. But we didn't assume that. It was raised as a question from the chat, and we reacted to that. And it is fair. There are, there, there are uh, Owen Strand was arguing with a Christian nationalist who is promoting Kenism on Twitter. So it is fair to say it is a yep. part of some of it. Yes, okay. A super, part of, it didn't say it's entirely, but it is a part of some Christian nationalists. Super chat from Bo Scotty who said, and that's fun to say, who says mm -hmm. saying the gospel isn't enough is unbiblical. Simply reading the Bible will help a lot of the people in the chat. He says, thank you for that super chat. Um, um also what yeah. I would want to say is regarding the racial component. Uh, that's not my biggest component problem with Christian nationalism, because I understand that's just a contingent aspect of it. My biggest problem with Christian nationalism is that people like Stephen Wolf, uh, Nick Fuentes have argued that nations have an obligation to preserve their national identity. They believe it's like a natural good and they need to enforce their like a certain cultural way of life. That is not a component of Christianity and that should not be muddied with Christianity. That is not what this is about. We don't need to seek power in order to preserve a national identity, uh, Fuentes says we need to uh, 
preserve European white culture in America. Whites need to be the majority always in America. European culture needs to be the majority culture. And that this is somehow somehow an obligation for Christians to do. That is pure and utter nonsense. Again, go back to St. Augustine, City on a Hill. That is not our goal. That should never have been our goal. And it never should be our goal. Our goal is to spread the kingdom of God. And if he is king, he will topple over whatever culture he wants, whatever nation he wants to get that goal across. And we need to be willing to surrender that to Christ. We do not have an obligation to preserve a national identity. I mean, that's ridiculous. So that's one of my biggest problems with Christian nationalism. It's that it prizes and idolizes power and political power and thinks it can change the culture through that instead of through discipleship the way the king commanded. And it thinks that we have an obligation to preserve certain cultures and national identities, which is just utter nonsense and antithetical to the gospel. We have one nation we're preserving, that's the nation of Christ, and it encompasses all races, all peoples, and all cultures. So these are all secondary. These are not obligations for Christians. So Christoph Keating, and maybe maybe with some of these questions, they've kind of been answered in, in different forms, but should any Christians... Thank you for the super chat. Yes, thank you. Should any Christians vote or run for office? If so, why? The missionaries in India forced the Hindus to stop burning widows, and that's a good thing. So, like... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I, I mean, I like the story about that. I believe that the, the governor of India... Uh, when they came to and he says why are you stopping the widow burning this is part of our tradition and he said in england we have a tradition that those who burn wi widows will be hanged you keep your tradition we will keep ours <laughs> so i'm paraphrasing and so you but but, you but yeah but like honestly like okay <laughs> let's say let's say uh ip that like i'm i'm sitting here uh let's say i'm um i'm 18 i'm thinking about going into the military or something and um uh, or, or maybe I'm, I'm in college and I'm studying political science. I want to go into politics or something. Um, I'm a Christian, so my position in a political office or uh, as a, a servant of the government in some way, servant of the people through the government, I'm going to, my, my Christianity may, will influence me. I mean, obviously, uh, to, how, how do you react to Christoph Keating's question here? So for one thing, uh, Promoting the end of killing people is just something that obviously should happen because there's a huge difference between saying uh, we're you know we're not going to allow freedom of religion or freedom of speech versus you know these people are actively killing and harming other individuals. There there are different values, there are different uh, obligations that we have regarding on circumstances, and obviously if we go into a culture and we find slavery or the murder of widows, then yes, we should use force to stop that because it's taking away people's rights, taking away people's freedoms, life. They're hurting the image of God. That is something that should be banned. But if somebody, we come into a culture and they say like, we reject Christ, we're just gonna keep our culture. It's not our duty and obligation to force our beliefs upon them at gunpoint. So you can't equate the two things. I mean, this, this is, you just can't use these marginal cases to justify all of the claims of Christian nationalism. That's not how it works. Uh, if IP is consistent, he's going to be a quietist. The heck does that mean? No, because uh, again, Christian nationalists do this. You either have to agree with us on Christian nationalism or you have to be on the other extreme. There's no middle ground at all. Even though America has been that other thing, that third way, that, that predominantly Christian culture that has wobbled along with a government that doesn't endorse any particular religion. It's, 
it's worked in the past. It's had its falls into cultural chaos only to be followed by great awakenings. Um, you know, we could talk about all the chaos now, but there's been chaos in the past with since the founding with slavery and all kinds of things that, that we've had great awakenings that have revived the culture without ever needing to impose Christianity at the point of a gun. Um, the, the point here is not, should Christians not vote? Of course, Christians sh should vote. Uh, Christians should get active in politics. I said that at the beginning. I, I mean, people ask, is, is he an anarchist or a, or a libertarian? Uh, IP is a libertarian. I think you affirm constitutional republics as the end all be I, all. I affirm that, but again, I would I would say there's a difference between ideal theory and my non-ideal theory. In my ideal theory, I'm more libertarian. In non-ideal theory, that's very complicated because it depends on circumstances, what can be practically implemented. It's very complicated. Yeah. So I, I think it's not inconsistent for me. Uh, you know, I'm kind of leaning more following Tolkien uh, uh, towards uh, you know some kind <laughs> of anarchist view. Um, there's no human being I know fit to govern anyone else. Uh, there's no Christian I know fit to govern any other Christian either. Uh, so I'm kind of leaning that way, but that doesn't mean I'm going to, therefore, because I don't believe in, you know, uh, an authoritarian statist kind of government structure that I'm going to not participate in it just because I reject the whole enterprise these days is no, I'm going to still vote. You know, you should vote your best interests and your vote should be under the Lordship of Christ. Um, so Derek, thank you for the super chat says as my second favorite post mill, uh, can IP give a few words on post mill versus theonomy, dominionism, mountain mandate, Seven mountain mandate. Doug Wilson's yeah. nationalism. So I'm not entire, I'm not like experts on all these. Um, I can do post mill versus theonomy. Let's just focus in on that. Theonomy is the idea that sort of like the mosaic law should be the law of the land. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely against that. Post-millennialism post is just the idea that eventually the church age will make the whole world Christian and will enter into sort of like a new Eden. Uh, in my view, if we get to that, we're not going to need governments anymore because everyone's going to be living uh, in perfect communion with God at that point. Well, and Romans, I'd say we're thousands of years away from that point. Yeah, Romans uh, 5.17 says, those of us who have received grace, we are going to reign. Okay, we're co-heirs with Christ, and we believers will reign. So, yeah. I mean, why are you wanting to have people reign over you now? Is so, yeah, my, 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 my post-mill is just, let's just keep freely spreading the gospel, having people freely accept it, and then slowly but surely Christ will work through that. We don't need governments to come in and help God along. The way Jesus set it up is the way it will work. Trust God. If you think he's king, trust him. Stop trying to substitute that with trying to achieve power through political means and then enforce laws in a way that won't make people disciples. It'll make them enemies of Christ because people don't like when authoritarians come in and tell them what to do. Um, also, I want to point out issues in this book uh, for a second here. We got to yeah, go ahead. Um, so Thomas Sowell's Conflict Divisions, um, I did a short video on this back in February called How to Fix Politics. And I pointed out that people on the left tend to gravitate towards what Sowell called calls the unconstrained vision of humanity and people on the right gravitate towards the constrained view of humanity. And I said, Christians tend to be more conservative uh, because they stick more with a constrained view of humanity. And that's why they tend to flow on that side. Christian nationalists actually act more like the French revolutionaries. They act more like people on the far left and they have an unconstrained view of humanity. And it's essentially the idea that humans are sort of unconstrained by our nature 
as long as we get the right institutions in place, we get the right rulers in place, we can use society to make humans into better people. This is the idea behind communism. You know, once we get the right people in place, we'll enter into this utopian reality. We no longer will need government. We just need the right people in place. Think of Stephen Wolf's The Christian Prince. It's very much along the same lines of once we get the right people in place and the right institutions in place, we can make society better through force and through laws. Now, the constrained vision is more in line with what I think the Bible teaches, that humans are depraved. We have certain limitations. We can't make utopia, like as Immanuel Kant said, out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. So we need to sort of realize that we can't make people better through force. We should set up a limited government with the idea that it's just going to make it sort of a fair, a fair playing field. And then we can sort of interact with each other. It can protect life, liberty, and property, uh, not allow rampant moral degradation, especially among children. Uh, but essentially it's the idea that humans should be basically in charge of their own lives. And we can't use government or societal institutions to force humans to be something better. The only way that's gonna happen is through like religious change or that kind of thing. So Christian nationalists actually act far more like leftists or socialists. They want the uh, tactics, they, they look at the tactics of the left and secularism rising and taking all this power now. And they go, the problem is, is we just don't have the power. If we got our Christian princes in power, we would really make the world better. And they don't realize they're just fighting fire with fire. It won't work for the same reason communism failed, <clears throat> the same reason fascism and Nazism failed. To answer Daniel's question real quick about anarchism in Romans 13, no, anarchism is a type of way of governing a society. It's just one without authoritarian statism it's it's just voluntary cooperation and uh the bible doesn't ordain any particular type of government system whether it's you know it just says the authorities they're god's ministers and um I, w I guess i could call myself a prime nationalist where i'm a nation of one and, and then biblically my family and so i will have to take up the sword to defend my nation but other than that and cooperate with others who are like-minded but no, it doesn't violate anything in Romans 13. It would just be another form of guys, societal organization structure that just doesn't have authoritarian hierarchy. Guys, the poll ends with 72% of people saying no. Should Christians be Christian nationalists? No. 28% say yes. Are you pleased with that poll, Michael Jones? Absolutely. And Christian nationalism is declining in the U.S. According to later latest sociological research talked about in this book here, um, it's actually going down, but as it goes down, that that small fringe contingency just gets louder and more volatile, and that's why. Well, Derek, Derek, super chat asking about the seven mountain mandate, dominionism. It seems like they, there's all these different, and then whatever Doug Wilson's Christian nationalism, I guess Doug Wilson nationalism. I mean, there seems like all these types of Christian nationalists that they're all getting louder as it dwindles, and then they're they're going to have to compete amongst themselves for. Which flavor of Christian nationalism? Well, they, they already are. They, yeah. I mean, like you look at Stephen Wolf, he's more of like a reformed Protestant view, but you look at like Nick Fuentes, he's a Catholic. So they're splintering. Like Fuentes and Kanye West have split. Milo Yiannopoulos has split. I mean, this is actually, um, you know, I don't agree with Ayn Rand on a lot, but this is one thing she noticed that these authoritarian ideas, they never will get big because they just, the bubble gets so big and it starts to pop into smaller bubbles. And I think the reason is, is because they worship power. Christian nationalists, in a lot of ways, worship power. And when you're worshiping power, 
you're going to fight for power and that's what you're really going to go after. So who wants to be the strong man? Who wants to be the Christian prince? Well, there's a lot of people that want to be the Christian prince because they're prizing power. So they, it's harder for them to get behind just one Christian prince or one authoritarian figure. And they slowly splinter and break off. And we're seeing that now. So, you know, again, and as I said, they have the seeds of their own destruction because Christianity leads to democratic values, freedom, liberty, these kinds of things. It doesn't lead to authoritarianism. So they're promoting something that will just destroy them. Um, okay, let's knock out some of these super chats real quick. Thank you for these super chats. Doesn't Christian nationalism contradict actual Christianity when it comes to genuine choice? My understanding from what you're, you guys are saying is that uh, the, the fact is they're not trying to take people's choice to engage in any particular religion or to believe in any mm -hmm. particular religion uh, or not a religion at all. It's more about... Um, uh, it would be more some versions of Christian nationalism are trying to put forth that no, it'd just be that that we're basing our laws generally genu generally around protecting these Christian or, or what servicing these these Christian principles in a greater way. Yeah, uh, it doesn't take them. away the doesn't take away the choice, uh, but it does sort of like make it so like you're gonna be like in a lower higher like lower level of hierarchy if you reject. The Christian nationalists' uh, protected form of life and way of living, and I just think that's anti-Christian. That's not our. That's not our job. Our job is to become servants and serve humanity and try to bring them to Christ the same way He brought us. While we were His enemies, Christ died for us. Romans says. So, like, why would we try to do anything different? Why would we instead of becoming servants, uh, why would we become rulers and try to force Christianity down people's throats? It's not going to work. Um, okay, thank you for the super chat again, Michael. Can you clarify why a secular nation would uphold Christian values like freedom of speech, religion, and life? I think this is getting back to, hey, all these goods that you're saying come from Christianity, like with Dominion and Tom Holland and all that, all these goods that come, well, shouldn't shouldn't it be Christians running the nation so that we don't lose those things? I, I am all for that, Christians running the nation and, and then promoting constitutional republic way of, you know, form of government. Um, yes, I do think secularism is not a stable long-term form of um, like a political system. I think it ultimately does lead to some authoritarian ideas because here's what some of the researchers that I've, I've cited in the past, check out my video, does Christianity cause Christian nationalism? Some of the researchers that I cited in there note that when religiosity declines, what replaces it is political religions. And... Political religions just basically are people that worship politics. They, 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 and we see atheists are actually more politically active than a lot of Christians because uh, a lot of them sort of, that, that's their new like go-to to form like sort of an identity. We see this quite often, especially on Twitter. Uh, so yes, I do think secularism will ultimately not produce the same good way of living we see from Christian societies. I want Christian societies where you have a bill of rights, you have freedoms, and you fight against those kinds of things. And it takes an active, educated Christian culture to ensure that kind of stuff. But we don't, that doesn't mean we then force our values on other people through Christian nationalism. We basically need to train our children up. And the reason, here's what you need to also keep in mind. People, Christian nationalists say, we're, we're giving power away to the secularists. We need to fight them. Who are we giving power away to? Was there a secular conquest of America in the past 20 years I missed? Where these seculars came in and took over? No. We're giving power away to people who are secularists, whose parents were Christian, whose grand grandparents were Christian. What happened? 
people stopped training their children up in the gospel. They started prizing money and the American dream of building up wealth and personal finances. And people just moved away from Christianity. So the reason why we're in the state now is because the church failed to do its job. We failed to do its job. Mm. We don't fix that by fighting fire with fire. We fix that by going back to what we were supposed to do. So right now I'm reading the Bible with my daughter every night. We're going through the Gospel of John because I'm training her up to understand why we believe what we believe, why it's important, and why we need to preserve the gospel and promote it to the world. The problem is, is that people just stopped doing that. It'd be, we became lazy cultural Christians, and we just assumed that we would just always have the culture we wanted. And that's why secularism has taken over. You want to fix that? You're not going to fix it by using the earthly devices like power and wealth. You're going to fix it by using the heavenly Evangelism. Powers. Yeah. Reaching people with the message of the gospel. Derek says, did you guys see Joel Webin talk to Mike Winger about how the governments will enforce biblical law? Why do these guys want to bring the Old Testament, bring back Old I, I Testament? I didn't. I just learned who that was through one of our students here at Trinity um, mm -hmm. that uh, asked us to comment on something he said about his wife reading a book. Uh, so I think we were going to have her on. It was Ashlyn. Um I don't know. Brought that to our attention. And so I, I, I guess she was going to gather some clips and we were going to respond to it, but I haven't heard back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard anything I would back just say, I would just quickly say, see my video, The Misunderstood Mosaic Law. It's not meant to be the law of the land for all nations of all people. It's more akin to the way Proverbs is understood. And so people have sort of misunderstood that. Uh, Thank you for the super chat. Chick men, chick men, chick McN. I don't know. He returns though. And he says, or she, does IP think it was right for the U.S. to legalize abortion, homosexuality, divorce, adultery, and take prayer out of schools? Uh, I definitely do not think it was right to legalize abortion. Um, divorce, um, let's take about that for a second. second. The reason why no-fault divorce happened is because women were often getting in these abusive marriages and had no way out. Uh, do, do we want women to be abused? Um See my video, Christian Virtue Ethics, where I actually talk about divorce as an example in there and note, uh, no, there are plenty of reasons that divorce is morally permissible. Um, as for homosexuality, uh, the government does not tell us what is moral. Uh, the Bible, we get that from the Bible, we get that from God. I really don't care what the government is doing. Saying that the government says whether homosexuality or adultery is legal or not has no bearing on what we should do as Christians. Uh, the reason why those things got legalized is because, again, we gave the culture to the secularists by not evangelizing our children, by not spreading the gospel and focusing on growing our own personal personal wealth and status. And then they took over the culture and they formed the, the rules and laws they want to have. You want to reverse that, you got to go in the opposite direction. But again, at the end of the day, it goes back to St. Augustine. These are just temporary institutions that are going to die. We need to focus on spreading the, the city of God. All right. So if you're focusing on that, in my view, you're focusing on the wrong things. Um, okay. Well, I am going to take one more question because I see it here from Hervey Schmervy. I don't know what I'm getting into here. Okay. I'm going to take two more because <laughs> Faithiest Atheist came along. IP a ton of, I don't know if that's a slur or not, but those, that word people, uh, we're challenging you on reading a Dr. Schaefer book on the Talmud. Will you take them up on that? I think it's deflecting from the real issue, but I'm just the messenger. 
I mean, I'll take a look at it. I did not see those comments because I get millions of comments every day. Are they talking? Depends on which book they're talking about because apparently Peter Schaefer's written several books. So I don't know specifically which one they're talking about. Um, my, okay. my defense of the Talmud was just basically pointing out they have misunderstood what the Talmud is doing. They will cherry pick lines out of the Talmud to make it look like an evil document that Jews want to go out and kill Gentiles. And that's pure and utter, utter nonsense. That's not what the Talmud is doing, and Jews don't interpret it that way. So they're not, they're doing the same thing Sam Harris does when he says, look at this parable that Jesus gave, where he says, bring my enemies before me and kill them. Therefore, Christians are going to lead to violence. Like, they're just as bad as these, as these new atheists that don't do research. They just do it with the Talmud. And we were just pointing out, do you really want to be like this? Because this is pretty, pretty ignorant. Okay, so the word is groipers, and I'm being assured by everyone in the chat that it is not a slur, and it's totally fine to use. No, it, it just uh, means white nationalist. Okay, the faithiest atheist, our friend Richard, is here, and he says, and thank you for the super chat, yes, Christianity was dominant when I grew up in the 70s and 80s, but a shocking amount of it was, quote, Satan planted dinosaur bones, in quote, Christianity. <laughs> Those that. narratives played a role in diminishing Christianity. Yes. Yeah, and that's also I, what he argues in this book as well. I would well, agree. folks, I would I'll tell this. you what, IP, do you feel like you got to say everything you wanted to say, or do you have more sermon material to lay before us about Christian nationalism? No, I, I would say, just building on that comment, he's right. Uh, Christians were not focusing on the right things in the 70s and 80s. They were focusing on America and America being great, and we need to make sure everyone knows America is great. And this kind of nonsense when Christian nationalists want to use Christianity to make their nation great. And Jesus says we ought to use our nations, lay them at his feet and use them to spread the gospel as best we can, even if it means the disintegration of our nations. They're not important in the long run. And so many Christians in the 70s and 80s were not focusing on that. They were focusing too much on, on national identity, on certain political ideas. And Look, look at what it led to. People have turned away from Christ. I think a lot of it, as it made, the point is made in this book, is that Christian nationalism doesn't help Christianity grow. It destroys it. And I ultimately want to see the gospel grow. And that's one of the reasons I stand against this ideology. I, I think it's, it, it's, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to what Satan was tempting Jesus with. You don't need to die on the cross to get the nations to be king. Just worship me and I'll give you the nations right now. And then you can use them however you want to enforce the world you want to be. Jesus said, no, that's not how it's going to be. I'm going to start with 12 men and they're going to change one heart at a time. That's how the kingdom grows. It doesn't grow through seizing the nations first and then trying to force people to worship Jesus. So when I say Christian nationalism is satanic, that's the analogy I'm going to. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan seems to be tempting him in a way the same way Christian nationalists want to go about. Let's get the nations first establish the rules we want, and then we'll spread the gospel. And Jesus is doing it in the opposite way. Well, I'll tell you what, this has been a fascinating episode. I've enjoyed it. I've learned from it, from the chat. Jonathan learned something from the chat. You learned the word groipers. I learned the word, <laughs> word groipers and that it's not a slur. I can say that word. It's so it's, anyway. You know what it, yeah. Go ahead. It sounds like it sounds like someone with an accent saying groper. Oh, those groipers out there. <laughs> those groipers out there. Hey, uh, uh, thank you, Gregory, for showing up here at the last second. Folks, uh, this has been fun. I'm sure that if you are not subbed up to Michael Jones, you will want to after this. 
he has a library of stuff related to Christian apologetics and a few other things tangentially related to that. And thank you for all the visitors who are here to to get mad at us for talking bad about it. We're glad you stayed and watched. And, and I kept trying to put their stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks was, for coming. Uh, subscribe to yeah. the channel as well, even if you hate us now. Jarrett and Alyssa, uh, hey, I... I tried to put your comments in. I hope you saw that. We wanted to get yeah. your side of things out They're there. They're wrong, though. I did hear that in a Southern Baptist <laughs> church growing up, that, yes, Satan put the dinosaur. MJ or, Jackson. or God did to test our faith, right? Thank <laughs> you, that MJ one Jackson. <laughs> and thank you again, yes, and amen for Michael Jones. Um, and Thomas Linton says, I'm pretty sure Braxton Hunter is, is a nationalist. Um, and then, yeah, so this has been fun. I'm just going to leave that right there. And Michael... Anything else you want to say? No. All right. Pritchett. Bye, all, everybody. Have all a great hearts weekend. and minds clear. We'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.